And good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and you're listening to Dollars and Making Sense. And here at the microphone today, I'm really privileged to have the Executive Director of the AIOFP, uh, Peter Johnson. Welcome back, Peter. Oh, thanks, Ray. Now, good evening to your you, listeners. Uh, well, for those of you that may uh, remember, uh, Peter came on the show a little while back and uh, a, a little uh, time back now, and we had a discussion at that time. Maybe it, it's good to refresh uh, people's memories about who the AIOFP is, its constituency, and how long you've been around, Peter. Sure. The AIOFP stands for the Association of Independently Owned Financial Professionals. We've been around since 1998. We're all the independent and independently owned advisors around Australia. There's about 5,000 advisors amongst amongst our membership, back through about 140 different AFSL holders. So our, our, our um, objective is to act in the best interest of our members and also in our members' clients. So so we act for the for the advisor, plus also we act for the client. Because the client always must act, sorry, the, the advisor must always act in the best interest of the client. And so, therefore, we, we act in both best interests of client and advisor. So the last time we, we had a lengthy discussion, it was really all, all about um, what the AOFP had done in writing an open letter to ASIC and also to the Minister of Financial Services, Senator Jane Hume. Maybe it's good to maybe cast over just a minute or so, you know, what the main thrust of that letter was all about. Sure. Well, it was about it's about the treatment of advisors and about the treatment of of their consumers because advisors are, are consumers as well because we we do consume products from from the marketplace on, on behalf of our clients. So what so what what what, what we've been unhappy about is uh, is this legislation which is what um, Senator Hume wants to put up about the compensation scheme of of last resort. And the biggest problem over the last 40 years in Australia for consumers and losses regarding in investments has been the, the, the failure of managed investment funds or managed investment schemes. And um, there's been about 40 billion, which is which has been lost or impaired and since, since 1980. And what has happened is they've tried to blame the advisors, now, which, which is very unfair because it, it, it's like, Ray, if you went into the local pharmacy and you bought a a drug and, and, and your right arm dropped off, who, who, who are you going to blame? The person who made the drug, the person who allowed the drug onto the market, or a poor old advisor sitting in the chemist shop? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and It's a and good that, analogy, actually. It's a very good analogy now that you, you, that you, you vocalise it that way. And, yeah. um, and, and I think it's really important for people to, to understand, and being an ex-advisor myself, you can only deal with the products that you have at your disposal. And so... You take on good faith the the things that are told to you in the product descriptions and uh, the terminology around PDSs and IMs, product disclosure statements and information memorandums, and then you obviously have to rely upon the good faith and goodwill of those companies in question to actually deliver their promises. And I, I think you rightly point out if if the product fails, I can't imagine uh, unless the advisor is complicit, uh, <laughs> which is not all that often, um, I, I still scratch my head um, that uh, they can be held in, entirely liable. So so let's move on. You know, much of the background to the CSLR, the Compensation Scheme of Last Resort, is backgrounded in the Hain Royal Commission. And I think it's worthy to talk a little bit about that Royal Commission and just maybe go over and refresh memories about 
why the Hayden Royal Commission was established, who established it, and a little bit of history there. So, so Peter, do you want to go over a little bit about why that RC was initiated in the first instance? Oh, well, there, there have been calls from many sectors of, of society over, over many years for, for a Royal Commission to look at what the banks are doing, what other financial in, uh, institutions are doing. And um, I think it's a fair bit of political pressure was finally put on Scott Morrison and uh, he then called a, a Royal Commission uh, into the financial services area. And this is where Senator, uh, not Senator Hayne, uh, Commissioner Hayne um, had, had a real close look at the way the industry works. He then put up, um, I think it's about 70 recommendations at, at uh, at the end of the um, the um, the uh, procedure, and basically what we had a very unusual situation because most mostly if you look at the history of royal commissions, all the stuff is left on the shelf. Nothing's ever implemented, uh, mm. but, but 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 this was different this time because it was right at the beginning of the two thousand and well right around the two thousand nineteen election, and and you had both sides of parliament saying yes, well we're going to implement what whatever it is, and and the, the bizarre thing about it, they didn't know what they're going to be, so they so they said we're going to do it whether, whether it was good or bad. Anyway, anyway, so what, what has happened, one of, one of those recommendations is this compensation scheme of, of, of last resort, which, which, uh, which we agree with. We think it's a great idea. Uh, but, however, there's a few tricky things to it, which we think um, Senator, uh, Minister Hume is trying to help, help the banks out here against the best interests of, of their consumers. And that, before, that, that, that's, before, yeah, but before we get into that, I just want to cover off just one thing before we get stuck into the CSLR, Peter. Before the commission even got started, I can remember a lot of the commentary at the time. Firstly, I, I would certainly uh, characterise the government of the day as being very anti the Royal Commission. And I, I know Scott Morrison at the time was the treasurer. He stood up in Parliament, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Hansard would reflect this, is that he was never in favour of a banking royal commission. They voted against it many, many times. And then when they finally got forced and wedged into doing it, the actual scope of that royal commission was severely curtailed. Would you or would you not agree with that characterisation? Yeah, look, 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 the... There, there, there's a golden rule to um, to royal commissions from the politicians' point of view, is before they announce them, they want to know what the results going to be. Okay? <laughs> so that, that that's that's the golden rule. So uh, then, this. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Peter. Look, I, I come from a background of consulting and uh, and I, I come from a telco era where I worked for Telstra for many, many years and we always used to joke that you never hired a consultant to deliver a report that you didn't know it was going to be in the report at the end of the day. Otherwise, why pay the money in the first instance? And Absolutely. My, my word, the RC for, for, the, for the, around this banking royal commission, I, I have to say that they applied the kid gloves to the banks given that... You know, the, some of the AML, the anti-money laundering contraventions that uh, one or two of the banks were actually particularly guilty of, really got very short shrift from the media and also the government. And I just scratched my head going, wow, it's akin to being whipped with a toothbrush, I, I, I felt at the time. And so we, we sit here now a, a couple of years later where we've got the report that was delivered in 2019 and the CSLR is about to become uh, legislated. And uh, I guess part of the, the the dilemma we now face, and and the reason I invited you back onto the show, Peter, to to have further discussions around this, is that the CSLR on the surface, and when you read 
the legislation. And I've actually gone in and read the report uh, that is been that's uh, actually on the the government website. Um, it, it sounds great from that perspective, but there's some real glaring omissions, aren't there? Yes. Look, look. It's uh, we don't we 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 conceptually like it. We think it's great for consumers. And um, but what we don't like is what what Sandy Hume has decided to do is modify it to what Hain wanted. And that that is the sticking point. So, so the first thing I'll say to your viewers, if if they if they like what we're saying, they should send an email or write to their local member saying, "So we don't like this. Uh, we we you know we want this changed." Now, what 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 they've done? They've they've one one of the tricks which are the politicians put through the upper house. They 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 put in place what's called omnibus bills, right? And what yeah. it is is where they where they attach two bills together. The one up front is the sucker bill, which oh that sounds fantastic. The, you know, that that is great. Let's let this go ahead with it. And then the one attached to it is the controversial one. They're trying to push through without anyone watching. And that is what's happened with this this compensation compensations fund of uh, well scheme of of the last resort. So so the first one up front is the financial accountability regime. The uh, the FAR. Over the last 30 years, I've been in, in the industry 40 years, whenever you see the banks getting into trouble with massive fines from, from ASIC for being bad, you never see a person actually get banned, okay? It's never a person. Because that person who's responsible for this behaviour disappears somewhere in the bank or retire or do something, and then the, mass, then, then, then the bank gets a massive fine, but no person is actually banned or taken, or, or, or taken a task over it. So this is where they're, they're putting this financial accountability regime, which which all makes sense. Yes, we can finally now nail these people for for making bad mistakes. Now, if if that was a financial advisor and an independently owned financial advisor, they would be attacked by ASIC, banned, named in the paper, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when it comes to the banks, no person was ever was ever banned, and and they all disappeared into the into the mire. So. So, so, so basically, what what the what uh, Senator what Senator Hume's trying to do is to put the omnibus bill through, which is the FAR, which which everyone agrees with. Then attached to it will be the CSLR bill, which is the one where we're saying, well, there's a few there's a few admissions here. Okay, now, so let's hold let's hold that thought for just a moment. It's uh, just sure. about time for a break now. So you're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and I'm here at the microphone with Peter Johnson from the AIOFP. He's the executive director. And we are talking about the CSLR, the Compensation Scheme of Last Resort and the Hain Royal Commission. And we're going to go for a short station announcement. We'll be back with you very, very shortly. And welcome back, listeners. You're listening to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. And at the microphone today, I'm really pleased to have the Executive Director of the AIOFP, the Association of Independent Financial Professionals, uh, Executive Director Peter Johnson. Peter, we've been talking about the CSLR, the Compensation Scheme of Last Resort, which is just about to be legislated. Now, before we went to the break, we were talking about omnibus bills. Now, omnibus bills is something that's, uh, I think, a, a recent uh, occurrence in Australian politics, but it's got some real hooks in it, hasn't it? And so the omnibus bill that we were talking about before the break, FAR, and now is attached with this, uh, uh, I guess, the CSLR. So let's talk a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, for, just just to recap, um, 
an omnibus bill where they try to put two bills together and push it through the mm-hmm. through the upper house. It's been around a fair while. I'm not sure exactly how long, but 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 it's been there a while. So what they do, they put up the sucker bill first, which is the one about the financial uh, accountability regime, which is having a go at a specific people who've, who've, who've made mistakes, which which is what we applaud. Um, and then and then what what they do, they they that they attach to it. Uh, a bill which is controversial, which they're trying to push through without anyone. It's a bit of a sneaky way of trying to push something through without without <laughs> without without anyone seeing it, which is commonly called politics. <laughs> so so what what <laughs> so what what this compensation scheme of last resort? What what it's about is there's uh, if 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 a consumer has a complaint about a financial institution or an advisor, they go to the um, the AFCA, which is the Australian Financial Complaints Authority, which is which is which is a a, a authority set up to to assist consumers. Now, in the last twelve months, they've had about seventy thousand complaints from the public. Can you say seven, that again? How many? Seventy thousand, seven zero thousand complaints, wow. which. It, uh, it's in their annual report, and out of those, ninety-eight point five percent of those seventy thousand complaints was were against the banks and the financial institutions, insurance companies, etc., for 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 doing tricky things with with their clients. And they've and um, and and so uh, let's and, be clear here, Peter. When we're talking about these banks and financial institutions. So we're talking, let's say, you know, uh, big companies, super funds, etc., uh, banks. Yep. But we're not talking now the financial advisors, okay? So these oh, no. are people yeah. out there giving advice. So the other 1.5% is potentially now uh, the people that I think where this legislation is primarily aimed at uh, and, and uh, again, where they're looking to fund it. But we'll, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But so so just to get some context of the 70,000 complaints that, that AFCA uh, received, only a very, very small fraction of those have actually been directed towards the advisor community. Is that true? Uh, only 1.5% and 90% of those were settled. So we're, we're, we're talking 0.002% uh, about, uh, are, are about advisors. And this is where people who, because the advisory group had, had to go into, in, uh, into administration, okay, this is where the consumers did not get their money back, okay? So this is why they've put in this compensation scheme of last resort because there's only a very few never got their money back. And we believe all those who didn't get their money back, this is consumers, was based around a complaint about a product failure, okay? So it wasn't poor investment, poor strategic advice. It was about product failure, which is in the just, land so, of... So, so likely a fund manager's... Fund managers just picked up the money, shifted over to the you know, Cayman Islands, and 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 skedaddled. Well, yeah, there's there's fraud, which we, which we can talk about in a sec. Yeah, yeah, there's fraud, there's just mismanagement of properties or equities or whatever the case may be. So 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 what so what what the government's trying to do is is plug that gap of where people don't get their money back through through an AFCA determination, okay. We, we, which which is only a very small, you know, relatively speaking, a small amount. But what they're trying to do is exempt the banks from having any accountability. We're saying, hang on, the banks are ninety-eight point five percent of all complaints. Well, banks and other in- institutions are ninety-eight point five percent of all the complaints, and you don't want to include them. Which is just we say, how can you possibly justify that? Justify that. Plus, also what 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 they're trying to do is what what Hain wanted to do 
was to backdate the commencement of this of this scheme to, to the 1st of January 2009. Now, the reason for that, because back in mid-2009, there was a massive $180 million fraud of a superannuation fund, okay, which 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 was an APRA-regulated fund. The money was stolen via, via Hong Kong. And there was a Senate committee at the time, a Senate standing committee looked at it, and they found that the that APRA, ASIC, research houses, and custodians were all negligent. Okay, so there was a rule. So, so therefore, the Senate committee recommended that everyone get compensated, which was the fair thing to do. But suddenly, I won't mention this politician's name, but he was minister at the time, and he stepped in and said, "Right, anyone who invested in this fund, which was defrauded, if they did it via their self-managed super fund, they weren't covered." We're saying, how can you work that out? They've gone into this fund, which is APRA regulated, which was defrauded. Everyone else is to blame. And you're trying to exclude these SMSF investors, which is what they did. And there's about probably 40 or $50 million involved. So these people have not been compensated. And they've, there's been, uh, I, I know there's been suicides. A husband and wife committed suicide in two, 2011 over this whole thing. So these people have lost their life savings and, and, very unfairly. So Haynes trying to compensate for them so, by starting. So let, me just, let me just pick that apart a little bit, Peter, because I'm actually an SMSF trustee. I run my own self-managed super fund. And given yep. the fact that uh, having done all the education around you know, being a trustee of my own fund, much yep. of what they tell you is that everything you do in your fund, you are responsible for. So yep. if something right. goes wrong, it's on your shoulders and you have no yep. recourse. Is is yep. that the kind of thing, though, that uh, I, I think they, they saw a tiny crack and have driven the dirty, great big Mack truck through it to say, okay, yeah. that's that's the uh, guise of uh, being a trustee with your own SMSF, so therefore we're going to make you pay for it. Yeah, well, what, what they try to do was dirty up makes SMSFs look 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 unsafe, which, which is very unfair. Because whether you went directly into this defrauded fund via your SMSF or you went directly yourself, you still went into an APRA-regulated fund and the fund got defrauded. And you still got, and you still got done over, didn't you? Yeah. It's, so it doesn't matter how it went in there. But behind this decision, there, there, there was politics because, because the industry funds were pushing for the people with SMSFs not to get covered because they wanted them to look bad in, in the eyes of the public. So it was all politics. And unfortunately, this minister at the time agreed with them. And um, so therefore, these 50, 40 or 50 people lost their life savings, lost all their super, you know, and, you know, they're all in their 50s, 60s and 70s. It was, it was just, it, it was just terrible. Just so, so, yeah. So, so what, what Haynes trying to do is, is, is to look after them. So what Hume's trying to do is, no, we're not backdating it. We're going to start it upon the legislation date, which is you know, sometime, some, some, you know, sometime later this month when, when they reset it the last week of this month, which is unfair to, to, to these consumers. Plus, also, we suspect that there's some of their, some of their supporters. These, Ray, what we've got to face here, the reality is that the banks and the institutions support the Liberal Party and the industry funds support the ALP, okay? That, 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 that's, 
that is a well, broad that, difference. That's as plain as the nose on, on one's face. Yeah. And I guess yeah. I, I try and get some context sometimes, Peter. I, I try and get some context. And when I was reading through the kind of caps that are in the legislation and the kind of funds that are being levied, we're not talking a huge amount of money, but the problem that we've got is that this sector is being picked upon to self-fund a whole bunch of stuff that potentially should be government-funded. And, and I just... For the, for the listener's benefit, I want to get some context around this potential compensation scheme and $50 million. Now, it's well reported uh, in a number of uh, the, the press outlets uh, today and in the past uh, months and so, and I'm sure it's going to be raised during the next federal election. $38 billion, with a B, $38 billion of JobKeeper funds were given to companies that did not have a reduction in revenue. And the coalition refuses to name them. And the few that have been named have given some of their funds back that they just didn't deserve. And we're talking now about five zero million, which is an absolute fraction of the money that Frydenberg flushed down the toilet, $38 billion, which has to be paid for sooner or later. And so when I get context around a bunch of people that got defrauded on APRA's watch, on ASIC's watch, and people are happy to sit by and just go, well, tough titty, I just sit there and scratch my head and wonder where any element or even fraction of compassion exists when it comes to adjudicating how taxpayer funds gets divvied out at times. Uh, and i, I got to say, I hope this kind of discussion is front and centre when we come up for the next federal election, which is due between now and May of 2022. I, I really see this. I mean, people talk climate change and the like, but more closer to home, this blatant abuse of taxpayer funds, I think it needs to be addressed front and centre. And the CSLR, again, looks at a type of con compensation scheme, and Peter, you've seen this directly as well as I have, that the kind of things where ASIC simply comes to the advisor community and say, here's your bill for next month, uh, for next year, too bad, we're just raising it. You know, what was it? It, it ended up being raised, I think, 230-odd percent in the last three years, and nobody yeah. nobody cared. Yeah, they're yeah. advisors. They, and, and this community that just seems to be picked on and now the CSLR is yet another example where I just see the constituency being taken for granted. I think that would be fair to say, would you not? Oh, definitely. Look, plus also what 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 Senator Hume's trying to do also is to put that cost not on the banks because she doesn't want the banks involved with this scheme, which is wrong. She's she's suggesting it should go on the PI insurance of of the advisors. Right now, all, all all that's going to happen there is the PI insurance premiums will go through the roof, and uh, the advisor then and the advisor then puts that cost back to their client because they have no choice because that's the cost of doing business. So again, consumers pay again, and um, it's it it is just un it's just un uh, unconscionable. And, and and the point I was making before is that is that the banks back up the Liberal Party, right? And this is where they're doing a favour for the Liberal Party here because because there's got to be a fund manager who had a problem post-2009 who does not want this backdated because they're caught with with, with consumer yeah, losses. And, and so they'll, get, they'll get besmirched, won't they? Yeah, that that that's what we think is happening, right? They're trying to protect the banks. They're saying, well, 
bad luck for the for the for the poor old consumers, particularly these poor people who lost their house, their life savings, etc. And they and they're doing the banks a favour. But you know why? Because up is yeah, as you say, there's a federal election coming, and all these. Uh, Political parties want you know want their cash donations, so they pay for their commercials. So they're doing favours left, right, and centre, and it's wrong. It's against the best interests of consumers, and that's what these politicians forget that they get voted into a seat to, to act in the consumers' best interest, and they don't end up doing that. Well, most of them don't anyway. Well, I, I might just relay a personal anecdote when you come and talk. You know, when we're talking pre- previously about professional indemnity insurance. Um, Given the fact that I'm a fund manager myself and I run uh, an AFSL and a financial services licence with uh, one of the gentlemen that actually shares this radio show, Phil Osborne, now when we went and applied to ASIC for our licence, we had to go through the process of getting professional indemnity insurance. Now, listeners, I've got to tell you, you know, when you guys go out in big consumer land and you go and get your car insurance, okay, you go and register your Ford or your Holden and you will get a quote from, let's say, three or four different insurance companies and they'll be within 5 10 maybe 15%. You get a few low cost, but you, you operate within a range. But I can tell you when I went to try and get professional indemnity insurance for my company to operate a financial services licence, the responses we got back from the underwriters was damning and it's damning of the industry and it's damning of the government and let me tell you what happened we were put through the ringer and asked if we were of good repute to begin with that is damning enough in itself but then when we got the quotes back we got underwriter quotes that varied anything from a low $30,000 right up to $70,000 plus. And then we had a whole bunch of others that simply said, you know what, your market is so unreliable that Lloyds of London, in fact, just simply said, you know what, we're withdrawing from the Australian market. And that's what international insurers and underwriters think about trying to operate professional indemnity insurance in the financial services game in this country presently. And I think that's an indictment, a damning indictment on our current government and this legislation that they're trying to push through that simply says, you know what, we're going to foist it on somebody else and walk away. Well, I'm sorry, but we're not going to walk away without a fight. That's for darn sure. Ray, you're you're exactly right. And, And the major problem has been over the last 40 years, ASIC have allowed these products on the market. They've been managed by the banks and other institutions. They've failed. And because the clients got their advice from the advisor, their first port of call, they have to go back through the advisor. They can't go directly to the third party, which is the fund. They have to go back through their advisor. And then what happens, the advisor gets caught with it, unfairly caught with it. And then, then what happens there is that, is, is that then they get, um, you know, they get uh, defamed in the marketplace. ASIC attacks, attacks them. The, the, uh, the institutions attack them. This is the poor advisor. And then, then what happens, it's put back on the advisor's PI insurance, when what should be actually happening is the bank should be paying for their own mistakes, but they've cleverly flick, flicked it, flicked it onto, onto the advisors. And what's happened is the PI insurers have been caught with, 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 uh, with all their costs, with all these costs. If you go back 10 years ago, there was about eight, there was about eight insurers in the marketplace. Now there's about two. Barely. And, and 
Yeah, and yeah, there there is just two, and they're just naming naming their own price. We're just saying we've made, we've lost so much money because your banks will not take responsibility for their for, for their own actions, and I, and then I, what's I, happened? This has put them back on the consumer because the advisor says, "Hell, oh, my PI insurance is going through the roof. I've got to try and run a business. I've got to share this out." So consumers exactly. and consumers end up paying again, and it's just not fair. I and mean, that's I, what. I, I, I've seen now, better estimating right. with a wet finger in the air, quite frankly, uh, and, yeah. and it's because of this total risk environment that we're operating yeah. in. And th this is what Hume is trying to do again with this self with this um, compensation scheme. She's trying to say, let's don't hold the banks account for their own mistakes. Let's get the PI insurers to pay for it, which is just yeah. <laughs> and the PI insurers are saying, well, I'm not paying for this. And but but by, by, by the way, Mr. Advisor, your or Mrs. Advisor, your your PI insurance is now tripled in value, and you've got to pass that cost back to the consumer. So it's, so it's just wrong. Let, it's wrong. Let's hold that thought for the moment. It's time for a break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm here with Peter Johnson from the AIOFP. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, listeners, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital. And at the microphone today, I have Peter Johnson, the Executive Director of the AIOFP. And we are talking everything to do with the compensation scheme of last resort and the current legislation that is before Parliament or certainly will be considered before the next election, we believe. And so uh, in regards to this CSLR, Peter, we've been talking a lot about AFCA, and I thought it would be really useful to explain to the listeners if they feel they've been wronged. And, and again, I would highlight, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that out in listener land, if you, for example, go to any uh, financial provider's website, they have a complaints process. I have mine. It's sitting there on my website. You can download it anytime you like, but it outlines a procedure on what you need to do. So, Peter, I thought it'd be very useful for people out in consumer land to understand, you know, where do they go if they feel that they've been given poor advice or they've bought a, a, a dodgy financial product? So we, where's the first port of call? Sure. Look, um, the the uh, AFCA started off as FIX in 2003, then it became the the uh, FODS, the Financial Ombudsman Service, and then, <laughs> then, then it, then, then it morphed, uh, morphed into what it's known today as the uh, Australian Financial Complaints Authority. And I've got to tell you, it's a great outcome for consumers. Fair to say advisors hate it <laughs> because... Ah. Um, it's sometimes described as a kangaroo court or there's no procedural fairness, there's no natural justice in it. It has been set up specifically to, to be on the side of consumers, which is great for consumers, okay? Now, uh, uh, the quickest way to, to, to access it, you just go online, just just put AFCA, A-F-C-A there, and, and what will come up there, and you apply online. So if you feel as though you've got a complaint, you've been badly treated by an insurance company, by a bank, by um, a credit card provider like Amex, et cetera, et cetera. It's quite easy to do. I've, I've, I, I actually had a complaint about what a credit card mob, and I, I actually went through the process myself, and it's very efficient and, and very good. Um, so what, what you do, you just go online, and there'll be and there's an application form there. You just fill in your complaint. You, you, you then lodge it with, uh, with, with AFCA online, and then within within uh, within half an hour, you'll get a response saying, yes, we, we have received a complaint and we are looking into it, blah, blah, blah. And then, then it goes through a process. And then eventually they, you know, they get, it uh, goes through okay, a, a, a mediation process. Now, this service is free for consumers. Okay, it's free. And it's not certainly not free for, for advisors because... <laughs> 
it, it's all being designed that way to stop to to get advisors to settle quickly if 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 it's if if it's uh, if there's any grey areas. Now, I, I think it's it's worthy to, to jump in there, Peter, to mention to to our listeners that, uh, and one of the things that I would always always suggest and and highly recommend is your first port of call before you go to Africa is actually go back to the provider and talk to them and say, listen, I'm not happy and I'm not comfortable with what you've done. Now, one yep. of the things that, as you've rightly said, this Africa organisation is very heavily weighted towards the consumer. Now. Companies and advisors will do their utmost to not have to be before Africa. It's bad reputationally, and certainly from a cost perspective, for those of you out there, there is no procedural fairness because if I get dragged in front of Africa, I have to pay whether I win or lose. So even yeah. if somebody comes to me with a vexatious claim, it is in my interest as a provider to settle that claim, even if you think you're hardly done by it, because it's if you go to Africa, I pay costs whether I win or lose. Now, people will sit there and go, well, gee, that doesn't sound very fair. And, Peter, you said it yourself. It isn't. It's okay? not. <laughs> but but it's, it, it's weighted for the consumer. But in a funny kind of way, I kind of agree with it in a funny kind of way because what it does is it keeps me very, very squeaky clean. I mean, I operate a very clean fund and I operate very, very uh, ethically. And if somebody comes to me and says, listen, I've got a complaint, well, then, crikey, I'll give you your money back. If you, if you don't want to invest with OTG Capital, fine. That's great. I'll give you your money back. I, yeah. I don't see any point in prolonging the agony. But there are players out there that love litigation because they seem to draw them out until they fatigue the consumer Africa's yeah. not one of those places where you want to play that game, no, though, is it? No, 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 it's not. No, they're, 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 there is no procedural fairness because when uh, when they go to their hearing, uh, the the consumer can give can uh, give their side of the story, and they cannot be cross examined. <laughs> so they can things sit there, <laughs> things sit there until lies. <laughs> they cannot oh, be cross examined. Well. I shouldn't be telling you, you consumers that, but anyway. Well, um, yes, it's. it's <laughs> I but it, I go it, back. Yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess, Peter. When when I look at the, I'm actually looking at the website right now, and and again for the listeners' benefit. So you know, we consider complaints. So they've written on the front page of their website. We consider complaints about credit, finance, and loans, insurance, bank deposits and payments, investments and financial advice, and superannuation. So they've pretty well covered the gamut, haven't they? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a great service. Consumers, I you know I go back to the eighties and nineties with, with advice, and uh, back then, poor old mum and dad didn't have a leg to stand on. Okay? No, they didn't. Because did they? The, yeah, which which was bad, which was bad. So like so so like 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 most things in this political world, it's it's gone too far. The too uh, you know the pendulum swung too far, but the pendulum stayed there because no politician wants to touch the Afghan because they'll be because they'll be seen to be anti-consumer. <laughs> so. So the, the, this culture will be there forever, and as I said, it's good for 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 consumers. And it's bad for advisors, but this is where we we just tell our members: if you get involved with this, just settle, just settle, because because it's going to cost you anyway. But if it's ridiculous, well, fight it. But but if but you know, but if it's something relatively minor, just just fix it, which is good for them, pub PR wise, and it's good for for their clients. So, so let's take the, 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 the process a little bit further. So a consumer has gone back to their provider and said, look, I'm not happy with your service or your product. They've said, well, too bad. So they've now gone to AFCA and AFCA have made a determination and said, well, you've got to pay. 
Now, I'm talking yeah. about this specific instance because I want to bring the CSLR into it, the, the yeah, compensation sure. scheme of last resort. So AFCA have now come in and said, okay, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bloggs, you're right. You've been defrauded. Okay, um, uh, bad uh, investment company. I want you to give them their money back. And they sit there and go, too bad. I've skipped off to the Caymans. I'm done. You can't find me. I've already skipped the country. What's next? Well, this is where the CSLR will will come in, because firstly, as you said before, you're far better. You know, upon you being unhappy, you see your advisor. The advisor then told our advisor, "They don't settle with you. You go this. You go to Africa. Africa then take down the details. They'll then go back to the to the advisor or to the company who whoever's involved and say, you know, give me give me your side of the story." Then, then they go through a mediation role where they'll sit there and say, "Listen, well, we think you know they'll uh, they'll get the consumer on the line. They'll get the you know they'll have a Zoom meeting or whatever, and they'll try and mediate to to get it fixed. Now, if if they can't get it fixed, then it goes to a determination, and this is where Africa will say, product provider, you have to pay X amount of dollars. Now, if this product provider falls over, or if like for instance, if it's against an advisor who recommended a failed fund. And that fund falls over, and, and the advisor can't afford to pay. This is where this is where the uh, the scheme comes comes uh, comes into play, and they'll then settle it. Okay, so this is why we think that if it's product failure, the banks or the financial institutions should pay their own way. This is what Hume's trying to do: is keep them out of it. We're saying, why would you keep them out of it? They should be in there because they're causing they're causing all the grief, and they're trying to get them out of it, which is a political favour. So we want to have, we we want all your listeners to go to your local poly and say, listen, we're not happy about this. Blah blah blah. Um, so yeah, so 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 the, this is where this is where the funding comes in, and then would 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 settle the amount. And this is what with with this trio, this trio capital was that was that uh, was that uh, failure that one hundred eighty million dollar mm-hmm. fraud during two thousand and nine, and and uh, people caught there will then get will then be paid out, which would be fantastic for them. I mean, they've gone ten years without their life savings. I mean, they're all living I in know, rented it's houses. Horrible. It's just, just disgusting. Just disgusting. So yeah. So the, this is so Hume's trying to stop this, which is which is just very poor behaviour. She forgets who puts puts her in Parliament. It's the consumers, and you've got to look after them. Well, I, I guess the time of reckoning will be there. I've, I've often commented uh, privately and uh, even on my market wrap at the end of my uh, my radio show. Peter, I still personally think that um, we're going to be in an election before the end of this calendar year. Uh, many say that they'll go right through to May, but um, I'm not so sure uh, given the kind of Much. performances we, we've seen. But it, it'll be fascinating nonetheless. Now, one of the factors that I think, uh, again, consumers and listeners need to be aware of, uh, I people may or may not be aware, I'm actually a, a GAICD. What does that mean? I'm a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. And as a member of the AICD, I keep abreast of, uh, again, a, a group of people in, in the country. I think there's about 35,000, 40,000 members of the company directors. And one of the things that's coming in very soon is going to be something called director numbers. So, in other words, you're going to have a number associated with your directorship. Now, what does this mean? One of the biggest things that uh, people have been able to get away with in this country is phoenixing companies. In other words, they have a company, they defraud people, they then crash the company, and then the very next day, they start up a new one and they 
carry on life <laughs> as if nothing ever occurred. And one of the problems that we have in the financial services industry is no different to you know, happening in construction as well. Phoenixing is a real issue. Now, with director numbers coming in, I think this is now going to start closing that loop on directors uh, acting without uh, accountability because they're going to need to have a director number, I think, from July of next year. Now, the AICD, I know because of my membership, they're now starting to bring in processes so that all directors will have a number and that number follows you everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, Again, so it should. And so it should. I mean, I, I'm a director of at least three or four companies. I have no issue with that. Ex- mm-hmm. you know, great. Use my number. I've got no problems with that at all because I'm squeaky clean. I've got no problems. I'm a JP. Mm-hmm. I go out into the marketplace with absolute comfort and confidence in what I'm doing with Stan's muster. And again, mm-hmm. if people have a problem with this, I immediately shrug my shoulders and go, well, what have you got to hide? And I think... Mm-hmm. One of the things, Peter, that we're looking forward to in, in this environment, I mean, CSLR, I think, is a great concept. I think it's just being poorly executed because the main perpetrators are being left off left no, off, <laughs> and not being held mm. to account. And hopefully yeah. people will listen. But, I mean, it's going to be difficult, isn't it, in the, in the upcoming federal election? There's going to be so many things being raised for discussion, aren't there? Yes, well, look, we believe, look, with, with, with ScoMo sitting over in Glasgow, um, a, 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 about a month ago, uh, the general thought was that there could be an election at the end of November, early December, which, which, which now just simply won't be the case. So, it'll, so uh, if, if you go to the parliamentary website and you look at sitting days for next year, there is none publicised because there's going to be an election. So... Basically, where, 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 where it's more than likely is going to be probably in, in mid-March. They, they, they wouldn't want to go to a May budget because the budget won't, won't, won't we're plenty of reading. Won't be pretty. No, they won't no. be pretty, that's for sure. So, so, Mar- so March will be the time. So, so, now, so now is the time to, because politicians rarely listen to you until it's election time because, they're, oh. because their job's on the line. So if you're going to get any issues across, now's the time to do it. Threaten them. Say, I'm going to put you last on the ballot, Liz. (laughs) I'll put you last on the ballot if you don't do what we want. Well, I think it's fascinating, Peter. I mean, you you live in Victoria and I, I, I live here up on the northern beaches of Sydney and probably I think it's the second safest Liberal seat in the country. So our, our local member, Jason Falinski, um, I think personally goes about Parliament like he's untouchable and that he believes he can say and do anything he likes because nobody in this electorate is going to vote him out. Now, similarly to the the voices of Indi, uh, where they were able to to overturn Sophie Mirabella's seat, uh, safe seat in Victoria, I think there's been a movement, certainly we saw it at the last election, with Zali Stegall overturning uh, Tony Abbott. Abbott. And so I've actually seen local um, uh, agitators or activists, depending on how you view them. Um, I personally like both terminology. Let's get out there and agitate and activate. But uh, we have the the Voices of McKellar and uh, Sunrise on McKellar. Uh, So these are both organisations that are out there stimulating uh, discussion. Uh, I certainly hope they put a candidate forward. I want a little bit more than just discussion. I actually want a viable candidate because, uh, again, look, uh, the Labor Party, I think, you know, turn up. But uh, 
Uh, I, I've watched people handing leaflets out. They're very lonely souls <laughs> at the polling booths uh, in this part of the world for, for the Labor Party, I've got to say. So uh, maybe an independent is a good way to go as well. But I certainly believe, you know, we need to start sending a message out there, don't we? Oh, definitely. Look, look they've, uh, I saw on the Fantry last week, there's the Friends of Kuyong, which is... Uh, yeah, they're starting out because he he had an eight and a half percent swing against him last time, and um, against there was a, there was a young in, in, uh, indigenous woman who, who who put up a good fight. So there's so there's a few people after Mr. Friedenberg, particularly after wasting all of our all, all our money on this job on this jobkeeper stuff. So uh, yeah, there's it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays because I think a lot of people are getting sick of both sides of politics and they're looking at other in, in you know as long as they're quality independents, they you know they're going to give them a good a good listening to. So uh, but if you're having to get a politician to listen to you. The next three or four months is the time to do it because their job's on the line. <laughs> their job is on the line. And they'll be well, out there kissing I, babies and carrying on. So now's the time well, to put the pressure on them. I, I certainly, well, never I'm say never. There. And, and, and <laughs> never say never, I guess. And and in wrapping up, look, I, we, we, it's been great to have you on the show, Peter, and, and no, talking about the compensation scheme of last resort. I think we'll educate a lot of listeners out there that probably have not heard of this. And this no. will go under the radar simply because. There are so many other big, big stories out there at this point in time. It's hard for these kind of issues to maybe get some oxygen. But uh, I guess one of the other things I keep on thinking is never say never. We saw a state election over in WA where the Liberals got absolutely decimated. We're talking about, and, and, and having lived in Perth when I was in the armed forces, we're talking about some absolutely core blue ribbon Liberal seats that went westward <laughs> and they went yeah. Labor. And people are angry and I hope they get angrier between now and polling date. And whomever you vote for, um, I simply say get out there and vote. I mean, I'm not suggesting you vote one way or the other, but vote. Be part of the process and and have a voice. Have a voice. That's yeah. what our democracy is all about. And hopefully um, at the end of the, the next uh, round of uh, votes, we may have some outcomes that we will be hopefully proud of. Peter, I'd like to wrap up and say thank you very kindly. Any final message you want to give to the listeners around uh, what we've been talking about today? Yes, go to your local member and just tell them whether they're a Labor or Liberal that they're that you're unhappy about what Hume's doing with the with the comp with the comp compensation scheme of last resort. It should be stopped, and uh, well, it, it, she 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 should stick to what Commissioner Hayne wants. They can't be manipulated to suit the banks against consumers. And, and don't believe the gaslighting that's on her press release, where they simply state, uh, "You know, we've now we've now satisfied the requirements of the Hain Royal Commission." They uh, absolutely have not. And uh, I'm just to get tired of this gaslighting that goes on. I'm just over it. We need a bit yeah. of truth in politics as well. Anyway, <laughs> wrapping up, Peter. Okay. Thanks so kindly for having me uh, for having you on the show. Sorry. <laughs> thanks for being along for the ride. And look. I'd love to have you back on the show in uh, in future editions. It's uh, sure, really yep. good to talk about these kind of policy frameworks and, yep. and discussing them out in the open air for people to have a bit of a think through. And so uh, in wrapping up, thank you so kindly for being with us on Dollars Making Sense. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, listeners. Thank you. All the best. And until next time, adios.